0: I love when we have worship like that. I, I almost say I don't need to get up here and preach at all, but I'm going to anyway. You know, it's just still so good. I'm so I did I hear some aw like like man, I thought he was fixing to give us the morning off. Sorry, not gonna happen. No, it's I think actually it's when we have we worship so strongly just the word becomes even more powerful as we which go to absorb it. Before we kinda get in the message this morning, get to the text for the today, uh I'll ask you a question: Who's ever had a time in your life where you've been given a piece of advice that seemed really strange, really, really odd, like there's no way this would work, but you decided to do it anyway, and turned out it was good advice? You Ever had that in your life? Some of you, maybe a couple of you. You know, I remember I had a time. I was just thinking about this this morning. I remember a time I went to a do- my doctor. Now, my doctor, I've I've been seeing him ever since uh, almost five years now. Ever since I've been in Cleburne. And he's actually a good friend of mine. Outside of him being my doctor, I know him socially as well, and and I I've, you know I like him, and he's taken care of me many times. He's seen me through a couple of bouts of pneumonia, and he's diagnosed a couple of things a couple of doctors missed, and so I mean, he's been good, you know. And so I, I really like going to him. And I remember a year or two back, I was going. I think it was just kind of a routine going and check up and what's going on, and you know, we're kind of going over every little thing that you know he might need me to look at. And then I, before I left, I said, "Oh yeah, doctor," said, I said. I really forgot there's something that's kind of bothering me. It's not a big thing, but I just, I thought I'd ask you. I, I told him, I, I know, I'm sorry if I grossed anybody out this morning, but I, I told him I had a little little wart on the bottom of my foot. Yes, I you know, we all get warts. Just get over it, you know. It just happens. I've been, I guess I was kissing frogs or something, you know. And and, and so I had this little, little planter wart on the bottom of my foot. It wasn't bad. It was kind of annoying. And I tried to freeze it off, you know, the, and get the over-the-counter stuff and the different medicines, nothing was working. And I said, you know, I... I just assume you can give me something. You know, we, we're living in an age where there's a pill for everything, right? I mean, if you no matter what your ailment is, there's some medicine out there that'll fix it for you. And so I just he's gonna he's got something a little bit stronger than what I can buy at the store to fix this little thing. Just get it, taken off my foot. You know what he tells me? This is this is my doctor. Who I've come to know and trust. Seems to be very smart and knowing what he does. And he says, go home and put duct tape on it. Duct tape. I mean, has anybody ever done that? No? Okay, like one person, like, I've done that. Two people said, I've heard this one before. And I'm like, I started looking on the wall for his diploma, like, making sure he got it where he told me he got it from, like, didn't come from the University of the Bahamas or something like this. I'm going, okay, wait a second. There's pills for everything. You can fix it. And you're telling me go home and put duct tape on. I mean, this is not redneck medical hour or something, fix my problems. And he goes, he goes, you can put the other medicines on there, that's fine. But he says, I promise you go home and, and try to put, put a dis- piece of duct tape over it make sure it's sealed really good. And he says, if you keep on there all day, great. If not, just maybe while you sleep. And he said, it won't happen overnight. It'll take a few weeks. But if you keep it on there, it'll go away. And I said, I'm basically, it'll just die out. And I'm like, that is the craziest piece of medical advice I've received to date is to go put duct tape on. And I know duct tape fixes a lot of things, but never heard of fixing a wart on the bottom of a foot. And so I went home and said, it's kind of, I got a crisis here. Am I going to trust my doctor? Now, I know my doctor, he's, he's never tried to play tricks on me before. He's never given me the wrong medicine, you know, when I needed this. And, you know, he's, he's there to help me out and keep me healthy. And, and I, I, I've, I've seen that he's smart and all this stuff. But I'm going, this is pretty foolish to me. This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't jive with current medical knowledge I think that must be out there, putting duct tape on it. But my doctor says, yes. So I started doing it. You know, I felt stupid every night, going you know, taking off a piece of duct tape and you know, popping on the bottom of my foot, and going to bed. But I did, and sure enough, not overnight, but a few weeks dead, and it you know, it was, it was gone, and it worked. I mean, literally, I've learned that duct tape will fix anything. I mean, just it really does. I mean, it's amazing. Now it's kind of one of those foolish, odd things that seem to be like no 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 way this could work. But again. I did it, even though it seemed foolish, it seemed odd to me because of the source it came from. I trusted the source. I knew him, and I see what he's done for me. Now, if I went to somebody else, if I went to our brand new chairman of Deacon's and says, hey, Casey, I've got this, plant, uh, this war on my foot, and he said, put duct tape on it. Now, I kind of expect that from Casey. I'm not saying anything against you, brother, but, you know, he uses duct tape on a lot of stuff. I've seen it around the church. Now, if he said put duct tape on it, I probably said, yeah, okay, sure, you know, I'm going to go see my doctor. I probably wouldn't because he's not a medical expert. You know, I wouldn't pay attention to that because it would seem foolish. However, when it came from a source of saying, you know, I, I know this to be a good source, I can trust this source, even though it seems odd, even though it seems foolish, even though it goes against the grain of conventional wisdom, maybe I should try it. Maybe I should see what happens if I do what this person tells me to Now, see, I'm convinced that God works. In similar ways to this, no, God does not tell us to use duct tape. What I'm saying is this, God's will and God's way often seems quite foolish. What God would have us do, and how He'd have us live, and just really even how we come to our salvation, it it seems at odd with what we think would be, with what maybe seems to be common sense, or what, what the world tells us should be. I find more and more often, as I grow in my walk with God, as I daily go about trying to go deep with Him and more consistently walking as a Christian as I should, I find so often that what God is leading me to do goes against the grain of what what makes sense to me, of what our culture says should happen. It's odd. It's different. In fact, I've come to a place in my life where I look for something that it feels kind of odd and kind of foolish and kind of against my personal wisdom and idea, and that kind of a a little marker in my life, saying maybe that's God telling me something, because God brings these seemingly foolish, weird, different kind of ideas about how you're supposed to live life for me. But we learn that if we follow God and we are told that God has our best interest i mean he's he's not there to harm us he's not there to lead us astray god wants awesome things for our life if we trust the source and say even though this feels odd even though it's a little different if i trust in god maybe he's telling me the right thing to do hey that's what we're looking at this morning we're continuing on in our series our series we started this year of a healthy family growing family of trying to say, hey, we want to be a healthy church family made up of a bunch of individual healthy home families, and we're growing together in the Lord. And as we're looking at 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse, going through together, this morning we're in part three. We're just a few weeks into it in the first of the year, and we're going to be talking about the foolishness of God. Now, I'm not saying anything against God by saying the foolishness of God. In fact, that's a direct quote from Scripture. This idea of the foolishness of God. We want to understand what is the foolishness of God and what does it really mean for us. In fact, it's an awesome thing. Once you see it in context of the rest of Scripture, what seems foolish, what seems odd, what seems different, what seems abnormal, God is really doing some awesome things in. So we want to get in this morning as we continue our series in Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going verse 18 through 25. And and this is actually, I'm going to tell you right now, this is one of my favorite passages in the book of 1 Corinthians. I've turned to these words time and time and time again. These are awesome, awesome words. But it's a little dense. It's going to be a little thick. It's going, what's going on here? Let's take it. Let's let's engage our hearts this morning for the Word of God. Let's look at this again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. It says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us... To Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For human wisdom, sorry, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Maybe you see a little bit more when I say the foolishness of God, what it refers to. I love it where it says the foolishness of God is wiser. It's wiser than human wisdom, than the wisdom of man. It's also so saying what, what seems foolish, what is foolish unto God in our eyes is so much wiser, so much better, so much more awesome than the wisest thing we could come up with. So I'd rather take the foolishness of God any day of the week if what seems foolish to us is already better than anything I can come up with. Now, let me just quick, i got to be quick about this, but let me just review again where we've been as we kind of started First Corinthians and why we're at this passage this morning. Last week, if you're here, we looked at how Paul, by the leading of God, was writing to this church at Corinth, and he's writing to a bunch of believers who, I mean, they had really let sin into the church, and divisions had happened, and all kinds of problems. And last week, as we looked at the passage right before where we read this morning, we got to the root of what was causing all their problems. The sin of pride. Now, there are a lot of other sins going on, and again, we'll see them as we go through the book. But it really came down to a prideful attitude in the hearts of the people. An attitude that says, I'm better than you. And an attitude that says, I'll live the way I want to live, what's right for me. And the pride that we're refusing to give in and humble themselves before God. And because that pride was there in the church, it just built up the divisions, and sin just came in. It caused all kinds of problems, so they were not a healthy church family. So Paul, right at the beginning, he's addressing, he's basically letting them know, here's the issue, it's pride. But he also says, my desire for you is to be one, to be unified, be of the same thought, the same mind, the same words. He wants them singing from the same hymn sheet. I mean, I'm telling you, he wants them doing the same thing, and so he's kind of going back and saying, hey, here's a reminder of what unifies you guys. Here's what brings us together. You've got to come to these things. So he gets this passage where we picked up this morning, verse 18. And again, it is such a powerful set of verses. Now, I want us to look at specifically verse 18 for a little while. Now, we're not going to go, you know, forever on this, I promise you, I don't want to, you know, we're not getting into an hour-long Bible study here, but I, you've got to get what verse 18 means. You've got to understand what the truth is behind this verse. If you're going to get the rest of the passage, and in fact, verses on from here, even the next few chapters, it hinges on understanding verse 18. So don't check out this morning, don't drift off, I'm telling you, stay right involved and understanding what he's talking about. Look at it again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, we're going to ask ourselves a few questions. First of all, what is the message of the cross? Now, if you've been in church more than two or three times in your life, you can probably make a half-decent guess at what the message of the cross is. It's simply, in the most simple form, it's Jesus Christ. The message of the cross is this, that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. In fact, Paul later in his letter, as, as we get to the end of it, in the 15th chapter, he kind of hits them with the, um, the truth of what the message of the cross is. In chapter 15 it says, For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures and that's he he references the message of the cross over in the book of romans it tells us that those who believe in their heart confess with their mouth jesus lord will be saved so the message of the cross is this that jesus lived as a man but is also god lived a perfect life and gave a sacrificial death on the cross he died for our sins and he who believes in jesus christ receives him gains eternal life now again if you've been coming to church more than a few times you probably get that message you've understood it at least you've heard it before most of you many of you have accepted the truth of that message so first of all the message of the cross is about salvation the message of the cross is simply about salvation in its truest form now, I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a person who, alive who has lived who didn't want to know what happened after their eyes closed in death. I'm going to tell you, every person who has lived has hoped, whether they believed in God or Jesus or anything else or not, they hoped that when their eyes finally closed and their hearts stopped beating, they would wake up into something awesome and better. Nobody comes into this world and says, you know what? I hope that when I die, that's just the end of all of it. Nobody says, I hope that there's nothing better after this. Nobody says, I hope there's just eternal sleep and I never know anything else, lose all kinds. Everybody who says, whether they believe in God or not, there's an internal whole place there by God of saying, when this earthly life finishes, I want to wake up into something else. I want to be in heaven, even if they don't call it heaven, in, in an awesome place. And the question is always, how do I get there? How do If that's even true, how do I gain it? And over the years and generations, there's been hundreds and thousands of different, says, oh, you should do this, or you should act like this, you should go worship here. And the message of the cross is this, the only way to gain eternal life with God is through acceptance of the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, there's plenty who disagree with this statement. I don't want to tell you that that is universally accepted because we know it's not. In fact, right here in the verse it says, those who are perishing, those who are living life apart from God, call that foolish. Why would they call it foolish? Now, again, many of you have believed that message of salvation, but think about it from the other perspective for for a moment. Would really, in your human wisdom come up with the idea that to be saved, I had to believe in a man who lived perfectly, which none of us have ever done, died on a cross, and then rose from the dead, which I haven't seen happen to anybody else. If you're coming up with a plan of salvation, of how how to make heaven open up to others, is that the idea you would come up with? It's not the idea I would have thought of. I mean, it seems so contrary to our own wisdom and ideas and thinking. And so it says those who don't believe in God call the message of the cross foolishness. It doesn't make any sense to them. It's nonsense. Why would you say that i got to believe in a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, and you say he rose from the dead? It's foolishness to them. It does not make sense. In fact, some of you may have that time in your life before coming to Christ that it seemed like foolishness to you. In fact, you cannot understand the truth of it until you're inside the family of God. It's kind of like this. You can't understand what marriage is like until you're married. You can't understand what being a parent is like until you become a parent. You can't understand what you know, for me, you can't understand what a pastor is like unless you're a pastor. And I can't understand what your job is like unless I'm in your job and you can't understand until you get there, but once you go, I believe, and I accept the message, it is eyes open. It says to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's like, oh, wait a second, this awesome thing that I once called foolish and other people still call foolish, it's awesome. It is salvation. It is, I believe the message of the cross, salvation through Jesus Christ, but let me tell you this. The message of the cross is more than just about salvation. The message of the cross first and foremost deals with our salvation, our making peace with God and gaining eternal life. But it goes beyond that. See, Jesus Christ said, Those who are going to follow me must take up their cross daily. So he said, I didn't just come here to save you. That's I mean yes, that's the most important thing that we got our salvation taken care of. But but Jesus did not come just so that we can get our our salvation taken care of and then say, All right, I'm gonna live the way I want until the day I die and then I'll be in heaven. He came to save us, but then taught us and tried to show us, I want you to live this way. And it's different from the world. The message of the cross means this, that once I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, once I believe what Jesus has done for me, that every day I'm supposed to wake up and not look at the day as a day, how am I going to live the way I want to live, but how can I go about this day living for the glory of God? Now, do I mess that up a lot? Sure. Do I live for what I want regularly? I do. But the part of being a Christian, part of being the one who accepts the message of the cross, means this. means that every day I try to live with the fact that he died on the cross for me. And I'm taking up the cross of realizing my life is no longer my own. I've given it to God and I'm going to dedicate my life to God, and I'm going to try to live for God today, and I'm going to ask Him, God, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to speak? How do you want me to treat others? What do you want me to involve my time and invest my resources in? It's living for God. The message of the cross means being saved in the name of Jesus Christ and living by the name of Jesus Christ. But again, how many people call that foolish? Foolish. It said there that it's a stumbling block. It says the Jews were looking for signs. You know when they Jews came to Jesus back in Bible times, they they loved to say, "Give us a sign." Now Jesus did signs and miracles, but when, when they come and demanded of him, say, "Give us a sign," he said, "Uh, uh-uh, not doing." Because even if I gave you signs, you're not going to believe. They wanted, you know, they wanted magic. They wanted the signs. They wanted somebody to come in, be the conquering king, riding in on the white horse and, and get them out from under their pressures. It says the Greeks or the Gentiles, and by the way, that's us, it says they, they want wisdom. They want somebody to come in who's going to speak to their human wisdom and come up with their, be in line with their ideology. But it says our message is not about somebody who brought signs, and then come in and do all these grand things. It's not about this that lines up with your wisdom. We preach Christ, the Messiah, crucified. That's our message. God taking on man, willingly dying. And then rising again. That's our message. We preach Christ crucified. Tell me what human wisdom is going to come up with that idea. Tell me what... Man or woman, third history is going to say, you know what? I think the idea of being saved should be that somebody comes, they die, raise again, and I'll believe in that person and be saved. No. All the human ideas have been, I'll try hard enough, I'll do enough things, I'll believe in this, or I'll refuse to believe in anything. See, all the human wisdom. The idea that our salvation comes by believing in someone who died on a cross for our sins, and rose again, is foolishness. Friends, it's the most awesome thing in the world, but under human terms, and by human wisdom, it is foolishness. You know what the Scripture said? It said that God was pleased. God was pleased that it seemed like foolish to man. Like foolishness. (laughs) Now, let me ask you this. Why would God, why would God, if he's the one who gets to choose how man gets to come and spend eternity with him, how salvation is provided for, I mean, God has the right to do it. Why didn't he choose something easier? I mean, more in line with our our understanding ideas. Why didn't he choose a plan that said, if you are this good, you give this much money, You attend church this many times, or just, hey, let's let everybody in. Why didn't God just make it easy? Why didn't God just make a giant billboard in the sky that says, step one, two, three, do this, you're in? I mean, our human wisdom says, God, do it like this. But if God had lined salvation up with what we think is right, the way we think it should happen, then what's going to take place? It's going to be man, they're going to say man's idea. Man gets the glory. But it says, God was pleased that the world did not understand him through its wisdom. But by the foolishness of what was preached, it saved those who believed. In other words, God did it this way so that nobody else but him gets the glory. Nobody can claim and say, Greg came up with the idea. Or this person earned their way to God. It's all about God. It's all about him. So it is foolishness. Absolutely it is. I will happily say that, there, that that God's plan of salvation is foolish to my human wisdom, to my understanding, to my ideas, what I would have come up with. Absolutely is foolish. But what did it tell us? What did it tells us in verse 25, right? The foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom. His foolishness is better than anything I could come up with. His weakness is stronger than my greatest strength. Awesome. How awesome is that? You know, I've been, I've been counseling somebody uh, lately. I mean, I, I do counsel the people on a regular basis, but I've had somebody lately who's struggling with understanding God's will. Now, that's not an uncommon struggle. And in fact, I would say three-fourths of every, every person I've got to counsel with, whether I see them one time or 20 times, that's a huge part of what they're struggling with, understanding God's will. And this person has been, I mean, so locked so locked. And trying to say, what does God want me to do here? What's his plan? What how's he gonna fix this? And what you, when's this gonna happen? And I gotta know God's will. And and this person keeps, you know, thinking about what they want to happen. How they want this particular situation solved. Is you know, and once this happened and keeps asking, Well is God, you know, I think I see a sign here and is God, so is God gonna give me this that I I mean, just so locked down with trying to get God's, understand God's wisdom, and hopefully it's in line with their wisdom, and I mean, just struggling. And I've had to go back and back and back and say, stop. Stop trying to understand the nuances of God's will. In fact, the Bible tells us, don't try to go and divine God's will and understand every little thing He's got next for you, and how how He's going to solve every little plan. Live in God's will. Live the message of the cross. Live daily for God. You're going to see His will get worked out. You don't have to worry about, is this what God, is He wanting me to do this? Is He going to solve it like this? Is He going to go over here? Live for God. Even if it seems foolish, do the things He called you to do. Trust Him, He's going to work it out. And guess what? The things He calls you to do. To you and to others, it's going to seem foolish. Why get up on a Sunday morning? You only got so much time of your weekend? Why get up and try to look nice? And Which, I mean, I try my best. You know, I do pretty good. So. All right, so I'm just making sure you're awake this morning and going in here. Look, I mean, we get up and say, I'm coming. Why, why are we called it worship? Why get up in the morning and try to have a time reading your Bible? I mean, the world says, that's foolish. You got other stuff to do. That's old stuff. That's that's old stories and myths and just people wrote it down. Why, dude? That's foolishness. I'll give you another one. In fact, I I don't mean to be a dead horse because I know I've talked about this lately, but it's it's a very clear example. How about your money? God said, take what you have, give back 10%. Give the tithe. That is foolishness. God, I'm trying to Live from this paycheck to that paycheck and have enough month. You want me to give up some money? What? It was not a pastor's idea to say, here's our giving your money. God said, do it. He said, give it back. Watch what happens. I have never seen someone go poor when they're giving unto the Lord. Never seen it happen. Never, ever, ever. And I have watched other families who have so much coming in and they're struggling. They can't even get from paycheck to paycheck. Again, it felt like money is under a curse. When somebody comes to me and says, we're struggling financially, you know, the first question I ask them, are you tithing? And somebody's saying, well, I can't do that right now. Well, it's not what Greg said to do, it's what God said to do. And God said, I know it seems foolish, I know it seems weird, I know it's against the grain, but give first to me, trust in me. It's an exercise in trust. Give unto me and watch what I do. And I've seen so many testimonies, so many testimonies of people going, oh, wow, I gave to God first. I trusted. It's foolish. It doesn't make any sense to my wisdom, but God provided. I have seen people who there's no way they should get out of debt, do amazing things simply because they said, I'm going to trust God and do what he told me to do. It's foolish as it seems. I love it when God says to do something that's foolish. And it's against the grand against the culture. He does it all the time. I mean, again, it just starts with my salvation. Why would I accept? Why would I believe that I get to go to heaven just because I, I believe in a man who lived 2,000 years ago on the earth but still lives today, that he died for my sins, that I had a time of confession of him in my, in my life? It seems like it's foolishness, doesn't it? And there's a lot of people in this world who would say that I am a fool for believing in that, let them call me a fool. There's a lot of people who say I'm a fool for doing the things that I do. I'm fine with that. I'm feel, I'm fine with feeling like a fool. It is God's way. His foolishness is so much better, so much wiser than anything I can come up with. In fact, I want to look for ways that God is saying, "Hey, I know it's foolish, but try this." <laughs> God's going to provide. Because we can trust the source. I know when God is directing me. I know that when God is directing me. Why do I have to worry about anything else? I was asked by somebody late, somebody was asking about the process of uh, you know, when a pastor comes to a church, you know, and every denomination is a little bit different. In, in a Baptist world, you know, we don't have anybody over our church assigning pastors. You know, we, pastors move as we feel God's call, and whether you stay a year or 10 years, and whatever, it's, we feel God's leading. And in my years, I've served as pastor of three churches. Obviously, this is my third. And in each case where I felt God leading me to serve in a church, you know, the process starts. You go talk to a committee, and you get to know each other, and they hear you preach, and all these things, and you start working out. And I was asked. I said, "At what point do you find out what they're going to pay you?" Now, a person is curious, I and mean, you got to figure that's pretty early in the process. You got to know if, if I'm going to start talking church. You got to know, hey, they're going to pay you enough salary. And I said, and I honestly believe this is this is not this is not trying to brag on me. This is something I just saw modeled in people who discipled me. I said, I won't ask. I refuse to ask. I refuse. I'm telling you, I don't want to know. I said, the day will come that they're going to say something to me. says, here's what the pay is. And if God calls me to a place, he's going to provide. He'll do it. I don't need to know. I don't need to go ask. If I'm asking, I'm pushing. That's If I'm out there going, hey, I'll come if you take care of me like this. No. If God is calling me to a place, he's going to provide for me in that place. Now, according to the world, that's pretty Foolish. Everybody else would say, you know, if you're going to go accept a job somewhere, you better make sure it's taking care of your needs enough. Why? If God calls you there, is he not going to provide for you in that place? If you know God is behind it, do you trust God enough to go into it blind? Not saying, I know they're going to take care of all these needs and all these things. God called you. God's going to provide. That is so foolish, but isn't it so awesome? Because living by the foolishness of God, will keep you in paths that are so much wiser than anything you could have done on your own. So how about it? Let's be fools together. Let's be foolish. Let the world call us fools. Let them think we're crazy for believing in the things that we believe in or doing the things we do. Let's be. I'm fine with that. How are you? Because God's way is so much better. You know the only way we can live like that? is a tearing down of our pride. That's why he brought it to the church there, because they were struggling with pride, going, I'm going to live my way how I want. And he was reminding us, you got to tear down that pride, and say, no, you're not going to live your way, you got to live God's way. You've got to live out the message of the cross daily. It seems foolish, but God is going to do awesome things in it. It means putting down our pride. So how's he calling you to do that today? what in your life is God calling you today that seems foolish? there's no way he's calling me over to do this why does he keep, why does it keep coming up in your heart? Oh there's no way I can really be obedient to him in that that't make any sense. Well, God said it why don't you just do it? No I can't really trust him in salvation because all my friends around me all the people around me say that's foolishness that you believe in Jesus well I'd rather you see you accept God's foolishness and find out, as Scripture told us, that those of us who are being saved know that the message of the cross contains the power of God. What's He calling you to do today? I'm going to ask you this morning to be willing to be a fool for God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. And we come into your house We come before you, and we know you bring your word, and by the Holy Spirit you bring conviction and guidance and counsel. And God, we want to live for you this morning. We want to live out daily the message of the cross. First, for the gaining of our salvation. Knowing that we have believed, received, and accepted Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. That we have believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth Jesus is Lord. Then, Father, we want to go about our days and our weeks and our months and years trying to live for you to the things you've called us to do, even when it seems foolish, even if it seems foolish in our own eyes. But if we say if we know you said it, if you know, if we know you guided us in it, then we're going to stop worrying about being foolish. That we are here to respond to you. Let us be willing today to be a little foolish. Not be worrying about our own pride or dignity or what we think is right, or if we have the best idea, because our wisdom cannot even compare, even compare to anything you have for us. God, so I do pray that for clarity among people's hearts today of what you call them to do, of what you call them to do, and how you call them to respond. Father, we are here for you. Father, we are here for you in this day. We pray this, In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close the service like this this morning.